morning. God's peace to all of you today as we gather to worship our Lord and grow in our faith. And may that peace that comes from our Father and from our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ be with you all. Amen. When you hear the word disciple, what's the first thing that comes to mind for you usually? Do you think of the original 12 disciples who walked and lived with Jesus 2,000 years ago? Or do you think of a modern-day disciple, someone who is instrumental in your life to show you what it's like to be a Christian, to follow God, and to love others? Someone like a baptismal sponsor, or a grandparent, or a good Christian friend. Ideally, we like to think of disciples as people who are very firm in their faith, unashamed of what they believe, willing to devote their entire lives to God without a doubt in their mind, and that they really just walk the talk. They live as God has called them to do by loving others and loving God. By definition, though, you and I are disciples because anyone who's a follower of Jesus is a disciple. And so with the privilege of being disciples, we want to try our best to be like that, to be people who really walk the talk, who really love others as Jesus has commanded us to do. But even if we struggle with doing all those things and being good disciples, what's the number one central thing that every disciple must have? Faith. Without faith, then you're probably not a follower of God. Ironically, though, Thomas, one of the 12 disciples, a guy called by Jesus himself to be a disciple, seemed to be lacking this very vital component of discipleship, his faith. We heard about him in the gospel reading today. What's worse, though, is that this passage in the gospel reading is one of the only times that we get to learn anything about this guy. So because of that, he's normally called Doubting Thomas, the guy who refused to believe in Jesus even though the disciples told him the wonderful news that Jesus was risen. So really, compared to most of the other disciples, I would say that this guy has a pretty lousy reputation. I wouldn't want to be known as the doubter, but that's his name even to this day. But today, I want to come to Doubting Thomas's defense. Not because his faith is so amazing and so great, but because he's a lot like you and me disciples. The scene depicted in John chapter 20 we heard earlier is what I like to think is an embarrassing moment and low point for the disciples in their life with Jesus, especially since they were hiding behind locked doors. Throughout his time with Jesus, Thomas was able to see so many amazing things, miracles and predictions coming true, teachings from Jesus. He saw Jesus walk on water, He saw Jesus feed 5,000 people with a few fish and loaves of bread. He saw Jesus raise people from the dead when there was no other way for them to, to, to survive or live anymore. And Thomas was there to witness so many amazing things because he knew God face to face. So one would think with all of these things that he could see and witness that he would trust that Jesus would come back from the dead as his disciples told him. Well, we hear this part of the gospel story today where all of the disciples are cowering in fear 
on that Easter evening. Why were they hiding? Well, they were convinced. They saw it with their own eyes. Jesus was dead, crucified. And so all of those past miracles, those teaching, those moments, all these wonderful things were just wishful thinking and a broken promise at best. They, along with the, the crucifixion of Jesus, their hope in him was also put to death. Everyone in that room was in disbelief. Everyone was afraid. Everyone had lost their hope. With Jesus out of the picture, it was their turn to be crucified next. And so they hid for their lives, living as disciples who worshipped a dead God. And even when the other disciples first heard the news of Jesus being risen from the dead from the women who went to the tomb, this was their reaction. These words seemed to the disciples an idle tale, and they did not believe them. It is said oftentimes that we live in a I'm not going to believe it until I see it kind of world or society. But I find even that statement difficult to agree with. It seems as time goes on and on and we have access to more information, it becomes harder for us to be convinced of anything anymore, really. Even though there may be a huge amount of evidence to suggest that something may be true. And this is not just with matters of faith and religion. This also relates to science and politics and history, especially as our world debates over what a, what a fact is or what's fact or opinion. Take, for example, the long-held and common belief that the world is round. This belief's technically been floating around for about 2,500 years. The ancient Greeks were the first, one to, the first people to suggest that we live on a, on a globe. Well, fast forward to 2021, we have testimonies, we have scientific proofs, we have videos, we have pictures, we have everything you could possibly need to believe that the earth is round. However, there is a group called the Flat Earth Society that is growing at a steady rate throughout the world. This group believes that the world is actually flat and that scientists and governments around the world are deceiving us about the Earth's true flatness. So no matter what evidence or what conversations they have, they have their doubts. They're not going to be convinced that the world is round. Now while this example is extreme, it does reveal something important about our human nature for us to know today. Doubt is a part of what it means to be a human. Maybe you doubt someone's love and commitment for you, even though there's years of evidence to show that they really do love you. Maybe you doubt a decision that you've made, even though you have plenty of reason to be sure that you made that decision in good judgment. Maybe you doubt the existence of God yourself. Maybe you doubt that he loves you, that he hears your prayers, that he cares for you. No matter what it is or what it's about, doubt is in human nature. Sometimes it does lead us in the right direction to great innovation and technology. Doubt is the driving force behind science and progress, after all. But doubt also leads us to sin. It can become an excuse to not believe in something. It can warp our perception of reality. It can erode trust with people and others. 
and God. Most importantly, though, and most dangerously, the sin that doubt can happen, that can happen from doubt sometimes, leads us to refuse to believe in Jesus. This happens when doubt convinces us that we worship a dead man. And why would anyone want to waste their time worshiping a God who is dead? There is an overwhelming abundance of eyewitness accounts that point to Jesus, including eyewitness accounts that saw Jesus after his resurrection, hundreds of them. There are entire libraries dedicated to philosophical arguments that point to the existence of God. There's historical records of where God has acted in times and places in history on our behalf. Billions of testimonies from Christians around the world pointing to Jesus. The air we breathe, the food we eat, love, the miracle of life itself, our minds, our bodies, every single one of these things points to God's existence, his glory, his power, his creativity, and his love. But human nature, along with doubting Thomas, says, unless I see in his hands the mark of the nails and place my finger into the mark of the nails and place my hand into his side, I will never believe. We will always have doubt. The disciples did. And they lived with Jesus and walked with him for three years in person. When we look at Thomas, maybe he doesn't seem so unreasonable after all. When we get a better idea of the the full picture here. Because without Jesus, without knowing our God as who he really is, We're left to fumble around in the darkness and loneliness of doubt on our own. This darkness comes through sin, and it completely enshrouds us. Even though we can fumble around in this darkness and figure out some things about God and some things about this amazing universe that we live in, our doubtful minds, our closed eyes, our darkened hearts will never lead us to truly confess Jesus as our Lord by our own strength and understanding. Time after time, the disciples demonstrated this very thing, this clear lack of knowing who Jesus is. That's exactly what happened when Thomas refused to believe that his Lord did what he said he was going to do, which was be raised from the dead. Thomas was trying to understand Jesus without the resurrection. Jesus is a God who is dead, a lifeless statue, an empty promise. But the resurrection of Jesus Christ for that moment in Thomas's life in that room became the cornerstone of his faith. Thomas did not simply believe because he could see Jesus again and touch his side, but he believed because Jesus was risen from the dead. He believed because God's word was true. He believed that God's promise was kept because it was kept. That's exactly what happened. And Jesus came to him to reveal this truth. And in truth, though, the resurrection is the cornerstone of the entire word of God. The resurrection is the cornerstone of our faith, too. This cornerstone, the risen Lord Jesus and the forgiveness and the life we get through that, is what makes our faith different from anything else in this world. Ideas and religions created by man place an enormous and impossible task before us. The search for truth. Through correct living, through intellectual awakening, through spiritual awakening, through whatever other process of journeying and figuring things out, man-made ideas suggest that we can achieve the truth and salvation on our own. 
But the Christian faith, as it should be taught, says that God has come to us. And what did he do when he came to us? He spoke the words of eternal life. He made a promise to every single person in the world and then paid for it with his blood. The promise that anyone who believes in him will be saved. And that promise was then vindicated, it was proven, it was backed, it was sealed by the resurrection. You see, when it comes to eternal life and salvation, God has done all of the work and is doing all of the work in us. Because of that, for that very reason, we don't have to know everything beyond a shadow of a doubt to be saved. Jesus saves us along with our doubts, along with our hesitations, along with those moments that we have disbelieved. Because of Jesus, we do not have to fumble around in the darkness and loneliness of doubt to figure God out on our own. Because God has found us, and he has saved us. Nothing else is like this in the world. Not all doubt is sin. Doubt, when it is used to seek the truth, can actually lead us to grow in our faith, to grow closer to God. In Mark chapter 9, a man approaches Jesus because his son was demon-possessed. He had nowhere else to turn because Jesus' disciples were trying to cast this demon out but were not successful. And so he comes to Jesus, the last guy that he could ask, to do this. Jesus responds to this man and says, all things are possible for one who believes. But then the man turns to Jesus and says this, I believe, help my unbelief. Jesus then proceeds to cast this demon out and save that that man's son. This man did not know what to do. He did not understand why something like this would happen to him and his family. All he knew was that he was alone and powerless to do anything about this. He still had his doubts, rightly so, but he asked Jesus for help anyway. Not just for help with his son, but for help with his weak faith. By acknowledging his weak faith, by acknowledging his doubt, he actually arrived to rely on God to save and heal his son and to save and heal his faith. When doubt becomes an excuse for why we don't have faith, then it's unbelief. But when doubt leads us, brings us to Jesus to ask for help, our trust in him grows because he hears us. He answers us. He helps us. Jesus does not turn his back on doubters. He didn't turn his back on Thomas. He didn't turn his back on this son because of his father's weak faith. And nor does he leave you or I alone in the darkness and loneliness of doubt. That's why, just like Thomas and the others, our faith must start and end with the resurrection of Jesus Christ. For we worship a God who is alive, who is present with us in this room. He's not a lifeless statue. He's not just an idea. He's not an empty promise. Faith comes only through the amazing work of the Holy Spirit coming to us by God's grace. So if you happen to be in a season of doubt, seek God where he has made himself known and where he has already come to you. Seek God in his body and blood given for you in the Lord's Supper. Seek God in his word. Seek God in fellowship with other believers and Christian friends. And don't be ashamed if you doubt 
Thomas stayed with his friends in his season of doubt. And when you have your doubt, tell it to your friends, your trusted friends. Tell it to God. We must be honest with ourselves. We're all a bunch of doubting Thomases. But thanks be to God that we have a Lord that we can always go to and say to him, God, I believe. Help my unbelief. Amen. And may the peace of God which surpasses all understanding guard our hearts and minds in the one true faith.